Let's follow Mike's example. Let's stand up for the reading of the word today. <laughs> if you're new here, um, our attempt is to really honor God. We want to honor God, but we also want to make the kingdom of God approachable. And we want to make it real and tangible. And when we're reading scripture, um, we would like to read it in its context. It's important to understand the context because it's important to understand what it's meaning. You could take one phrase I said and take it out of context and make it mean something completely different. So we're about to read John 14. And John 14 has some profound statements but, that Jesus said. But why? Why did he say these statements? Well, if you back it up in chapter 13, his disciples, a.k.a. his knuckleheads. Raise your hand if you're a knucklehead. Everybody should raise your hand in your knucklehead. But in his knucklehead, they were asking him some questions that, mind you, he's been with them for three years and they had intense training and they're still asking him some stupid questions. And here at Fervent Church, we allow stupid questions from knuckleheads. And so first, you have my man Pete. You might know him as Simon Peter, but I relate to him so well that I call him Pete. Pete asked the first question in chapter 13 and he says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, where am I going? You cannot follow me, but now you will follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus turns around and says, um, no, you won't. You're going to deny me three times. So back up and get out my face. He didn't really say that. But I kind of feel like that's the spirit of what was happening. So, so Pete was like all up in his face saying, no, let me follow you right now. And Jesus is like, calm down, Pete. Calm down. So the next knucklehead steps up. Tom. You might know him as Thomas or Doubting Thomas. So then Tom says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus' responds, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you got a dumb question from Pete. You got a dumb question from Tom. And here comes Phil. Hopefully your name is not Pete, Tom, or Phil today. So Phil comes up in John 14, starting at verse 8. And Philip said to, to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? These words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So there's some people out there, uh, uh, sometimes, anybody on Christian TikTok? We go through Christians, some people are like, Jesus never said he was God. Uh, yes, he did. He said, him and the Father are one. Here. But then the, this is the setup. He says, believe me that I am the Father are one, and, or else believe on the accounts of the words himself. And then he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me. Okay? So we accept everyone here. If you're a person that doesn't believe in God and you're just checking stuff out, that's fine. You could just make fun of the people who do believe in God right now because I'm going to challenge the crap out of them this morning. Because Jesus says, if you do believe in me, listen to what he says. If you do believe in me, you will do the works that I am doing. Jesus says, if you do believe me, you will do the works that I am doing. And then he takes it up to another level. And greater works than these he will do for those who believe in me. Because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now when he says in his name, that doesn't mean you attach Jesus' name to every request, right? I'm not sitting up here saying, God, give me a Tesla in Jesus' name. That doesn't work. He says in his name, that means in accordance to his purpose and in accordance to his will, 
right? That's what it means, in his name, and he will do everything. So in his name, he's telling us that we can do the things that he's doing, and he even takes it up another notch, and he says, and even greater things he would do, and it's for all of those who believe in him, which includes you this morning, which includes you this morning, greater things, greater things. That's what we're going to talk about today. So together, let's say this. Today we are daring to experience real powerful moments together in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. You may be seated. Compliment the person next to you. Say, you look good in this romantic lighting. You smell all right. Did you take a shower today? Mm. You smell Irish fresh. Come on. Today's exciting to me because we just dedicated a baby and, and so we're growing the church one way or another. Come on. We love pandemic babies. Clap your hands for some pandemic babies. Growing the church. And, uh, and we're starting a brand new series. We're starting a brand new series. And I titled this series, An Augmented Life. An Augmented Life. And for those of you who know me, you know that I'm like, I just love technology. I'm too broke to buy a lot of technology. But I love watching YouTube videos just on technology. And I love things, all things virtual reality. And I love all things augmented reality. Have you ever heard of augmented reality? Right? And tech companies right now, they're working really hard on developing easier, lighter technology so that we can take advantage of augmented reality. And some of you are like, what is augmented reality? You don't realize it, but you probably have used it already, and you just don't realize it. If you're shopping on Amazon.com or you're using your Amazon app, Right? You could right now, if you're finding some furniture, you could see how that couch looks in your living room by using augmented reality. Right? As you're shopping around, you say, how does that end table look? How does that? That's augmented reality. The other thing, too, if you ever used a TikTok or an Instagram filter, that is augmented reality. Don't act like you've never used that, right? You use the one that makes you look younger. Hey. Have you used the one that puts on your eyebrows when you're on Zoom? Is anyone? Right? I've seen one that they put on eyebrows, you can put lipstick on, virtual lipstick on while you're on Zoom. That's all augmented reality. So what is augmented reality? Augmented reality is when you, you, enhance, you enhance physical realities by digital means and you achieve it through these digital visuals. And, and so that's why you take the picture where, where, where on, the, on Instagram or TikTok, you could, you could put a hat on yourself that's not really there or, or you could put makeup on that's not really there. It's you're visually enhancing the physical world with digital assets, all right? And so you use this. But I love the word augment. The word augment actually means this. It's to make something greater by adding to it. It's increase. It's to make it more numerous. It's to make it larger. It's to make it more intense. And so some of you right now, you're like, I don't like where this is going. I don't like technology. Technology is of the devil. Where are those people at? It's okay. I'm with you. Technology is of the devil. Lying? Okay, I got one brave person. Technology is of the devil. I get it. And I know why, because when we don't understand something, we're afraid of it. Right? When you don't understand something, you're scared of it. And I understand that, and I empathize with that. And to show you the fear that's out there in regards to, like, some of this technical stuff that's happening in our society, I love, I'm just a psycho, so pray for me. I love watching videos of parents freaking their kids out. Anybody else? Like, honestly, what's the point of having them if you can't mess with them, right? 
And so I love watching those videos. I love because I love messing with my kids. And so I, I want to show you just a couple clips, a few clips of kids, babies getting freaked out by augmented reality. Okay, watch this clip. Watch, he gets violent. He gets violent. <laughs> it's my favorite one. That's horrible. <laughs> Completely tormenting his child. But I get it. You're afraid of things that you don't understand. And here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering is that are we afraid of not understanding this spiritual world that Jesus has been trying to impart for centuries right now where he wants to augment your life, right? Now, we just watch videos of of fake stuff being put on our reality. And yes, that sounds scary. But Jesus says he wants to put not fake stuff on top of our reality. He wants to put his truth on top of our reality. His truth on top of our reality. And so it's confusing because as a believer, as a Christian, we have these phrases that I'm already but not yet. Right? I'm already victorious but not yet victorious. I'm already healed but not yet healed. I'm already righteous before the throne room of God, but not yet completely righteous because I still mess up. I'm already, but not yet. So, so what God's trying to do, what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to augment our life. He's trying to add his truth onto our reality. So, so it makes more sense when we say things and we say things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It makes sense when I, when I sit there and say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It makes sense when I sit there and say, I have victory in Christ Jesus, even though things suck right now. It makes sense to know that he is the beginning of the end and that he's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It makes sense only when we understand that God wants to augment your life. He's adding his truth to our reality. And it goes beyond your emotions. It goes beyond sometimes logic. And we get freaked out by it. So if we get freaked out by it, we might as well turn the volume down. We don't talk about that. We're a cool church. Right? We don't talk about all that woo-hoo stuff. We're trying to win people for Jesus. But yet we're not living in the power that he's told us to live in. When he's added it to us. He's used terms. And, and he's telling him right now in John 14... That you're going to do the things that I've done, which is crazy for them to hear. At this point, he's healed people. He's cast out demons. He's raised people from the dead. So he says, you're going to do the same things I'm doing and even greater things. But he's been priming that pump of greatness 
throughout the whole entire time. One of the biggest verses that I see quoted a lot in church is John 10.10 where Jesus said, hey, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you life and life what? More abundantly. More abundantly. So think about it. That Greek word for abundance, that, you know what that means? That means more. That means anything beyond that. That means superior than what you're going on, what you're going through right now. Right? So we hear these verses, we sing these verses, we memorize these verses, but we don't live out these verses. Because he's trying to add to our lives. And we're supposed to live according to the truth with a capital T. And the truth is our supreme reality. So, so get your notes out because this series, this series is for those who are going through the motions of Christianity and you're not growing anymore. Where you at? You're going through the motions and you're not growing anymore. This series is for those who aren't excited anymore about the things of God. Right? You're not excited anymore about the things of God. You're more excited about other things and, 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 and all those feelings have gone away. This series is for those who feel powerless, and even more important than that, you feel like your best days are behind you. Can I talk about some of the older people in the room? I promise you, I promise you that if you start understanding what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal in this series, your best days aren't behind you, they're in front of you. Every single, I don't care if you're in your 70s, 80s, I don't give a rip. I'm telling you today that God didn't bring you this far for you to just live right here. But here in our society, like, we're just stuck. This series is for those who are stuck on the fence. You, maybe you're shopping around and you're looking for a new church and you're stuck on the fence. You've been attending here, you've been attending there, you're stuck on the fence. This series is for you because all of us, and there's no shame on you at all, we can all get there. Some of us can get comfortable on the fence because it's low commitment level and I could, just, I could just receive and not give. It gets comfortable there. But this series is for you. I want us to get a new train of thinking with some simple patterns that I believe scripture lays out for us, right? We sit there and say, our reality is God, right? Our reality is God. And we sit there and we sing, God is great, right? So if our reality is God and God is great, shouldn't your reality be great? Shouldn't your reality be great? Ready? Try this on. You might not like this. This is our anchor point for today. Try this on. You might not like this, but I want you to try it on and see how it fits. You ready? Try this anchor point on. Achieving greatness is one of the best ways to reflect God. Achieving greatness is one of the best ways to reflect God. Here's what's happening right now. I can see it. Some of you are going into your bags, going through your purses, and you're looking for your humble police badge. Right? You're looking for your humble police badge. Don't worry, I'm going to give us boundaries of humility. But this is really important. Humility is not lying to yourself about your power. Church, wake up. Humility is not lying to yourself about your power. We're like, oh, you make sure, make sure you're humble, make sure you're humble. Jesus never once, he is the epitome of, of, of humility. He's the example of humility. He never once lied to himself about his power. And yet I think sometimes because we're so afraid of arrogance, because we're so afraid of arrogance, what we do is we stop reflecting the greatness of God. So jump on this logic train. Who's ready to ride the train? 
ride that choo-choo. Woo-woo, ride that choo-choo. Woo-woo. My wife's like, no. I want you to ride this logic train. Because y'all, I saw y'all something. Yes, amen. Ready? This is the train. Camera people, you got me? Here we go. God is great. Point number one, God is great. Where my Pentecostals at? Where my Pentecostals? God is great. He's a great God. Right? Let me see how real Christian, let me see where the real Christians are. God is good. And all the time. Ooh. Right? Not only is he good, he's great. God is great. Point number one. Good job, Pastor Mike, and not preaching heresy. Right? We're going to get on this train. This is the logic train. Right? I know I look like an idiot right now, but I hope you're getting this. Ready? God is great. Second point. You ready? Second point. God does great things. This is the logic train, right? God is great. Ride that choo-choo. Woo-woo. Ride that choo-choo. God does great things. All right. Here's where this track is going. You ready? Point number three. I can do great things with God. God is great. God does great things. Man, it's getting more pathetic. And I can do great things with God. The, the most important word in that phrase is the word with. If you want boundaries of humility, that's the most important word, with. For so long, I tried to do great things for God and fell flat every single time. The word with is where our power dwells. I can do great things with God. I'm not an idiot. I'm not here to tell you that you're awesome all by yourself. But if we're all riding this logic train, we clearly said and are confident that God is great. Starting to losing a little more confidence when we started saying that God does great things. But if those things are true, then the third thing is that if I attach myself to the greatness of God and the activities of God, then I can do great things with God. And let me ask us, have we forgotten that we can do great things with God? I think so. I think, I think we forgot. I really do. I think we forgot because looking at the statistics and looking where the church is, with a capital C, especially in America, looking where we're at right now, we're struggling. We're struggling. And, and, and we see that we're only back to 40% of service attendance, only back to 40% of church attendance of where it was pre-pandemic. 40%. 40%. 70% of churches in our denomination, we're part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, 70%. It used to be 68 point something percent. Now it's over 70% are either declining, declining or plateaued. So many of them are on the verge of just considering to shut down. 50, all, all denominations are only up to, the, the first time that it's dropped below 50% of church membership. 50%. Only 35% of millennials even associate themselves with the church. Only 35%. Of what we used to deem as this is a Christian nation. And I'm not getting political, but I'm asking you, have we forgotten about the greatness of God? Have we lost it? And fervent is going to be committed 
to seeing the other side of those statistics. Again, not because I'm trying to remind you of your greatness. It's because I'm trying to remind you of the greatness of God. And that he's a great God that does great things and we can do great things with him. You can. We can do great things with them. It, it, it is not rocket science. That logic train is, is approachable to every single person in this room. So my question to you is why aren't we doing great things with God? Why? He never once shunned greatness. Never once shunned greatness. If you read it in, in Matthew 20, 25, he's talking to them and and. and he says this, and he called to them, he goes, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be with you. He's talking to his followers, and he said this, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. Must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave. So that even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for ransom for many. The example of greatness that Jesus gave us was to serve. You ready for this one? Serving and greatness is synonymous in the kingdom of God. It's synonymous. Get this. I'm not just serving in kids. I'm reflecting the greatness of God to these children. I'm not just being a greeter out there. I'm reflecting the greatness of God with every soul that walks in through our doors. Right? I'm not just leading worship. I'm reflecting the greatness of God as everyone comes together and sings of his glory. I'm not just running sound or work in production. I am amplifying the greatness of God so that the whole world may be able to see it. We're not just serving. We're being great. Because he's called us to be great. Never once, I promise you, I'll bet you any amount of money, Pastor Mike, Gambling's a sin. Shut up. You're missing the point. I'm telling you, I can bet you any amount of money that you will not find anywhere where Jesus shunned greatness. He encouraged it, but he encouraged it his way. And that was through the avenue of serving. But I understand the hesitancy. Because when you start talking about being great, it gives room for arrogance, right? And there's a difference. And I want us to identify the difference. Arrogance thinks I'm better than everyone. Greatness says I can make everyone better. That is the difference. We think a limited in greatness will keep you humble, and that is not true. A limited in greatness will not keep you humble. A famous author, his name is Donald Miller, I enjoy many of his books. He said this, and he was talking about the church on a secular interview, and he said this, the church has a great way of being proud of their humility. And we're always trying to, that's what arrogance, we're trying to protect us. Yes, arrogance thinks they're better than everyone. But greatness, greatness believes that it can make everyone better. When we add to the community, we can make everyone better. I think we fear things like greatness and confidence because we misinterpret it as arrogance. And I get it. What has arrogance done? Arrogance has bullied you. Arrogance has silenced you. Arrogance has abused you. So I understand the level of protection against arrogance. But can I tell you, it's my, based on my observations of, of the church and humanity, we always love to overcorrect. So to protect ourselves from arrogance, we, we come over here to this sense of false humility. And what we've allowed is that we've allowed deep darkness, anxiety, and depression because it's better to look fragile than it is to look arrogant. It's better to look fragile than it is to be arrogant. 
And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to double up on that. And I said, no, there's something even better than this. It's the truth of God that says, yes, I am nothing without him, but I am everything with him. <laughs> to double down on this truth where the scriptures tell us that I can confidently approach the throne room, not because of anything I've done, because of everything Jesus did on the cross. It's not fragile and it's not arrogant. It's the truth. And in our attempt to overcorrect, we become fragile as a church. And we're called to reflect the greatness of God. And again, I'm not trying to convince you that you're all that in a bag of Skittles. I'm trying to remind you of the greatness of God. So I want you to answer some questions. Hopefully everyone pull out some form of notes. Because I want you to answer these questions. I want you to do the work. I can't do it for you. You know the crazy thing about... Humility is that you can't force anyone to be humble. I can't impart humility. I could showcase the greatness of God, but you have to choose to be obedient to his greatness. So I want you to go through it. I want you to answer these questions together. And I think we're going we're gonna to learn together. And I believe wholeheartedly that the Holy Spirit, I don't have a better Holy Spirit than you. You have the same Holy Spirit that I have. God doesn't give people junior Holy Spirits. You have the same, the, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. I'm going to remind you of the greatness of God throughout this whole series. So answer these questions. And this is just between you and God. You're going to do the work. Answer these questions. Here's the first question. You ready? What's in my life that can be used to reflect the greatness of God? Right now, what's in my life that can be used to reflect the greatness of God. I'll say it a different way. Is it take what you're good at and do good with it. Take what you're good at and do good with it. But here's the limitation right now. Some of you are like, I can't tell people what I'm good at because then, then that's arrogant, is it? No. Yeah, I believe it's more disrespectful to the creator of the universe who has the pot of the gifts and talents in your life, and you're just going to sit back and not use it? And we do the false humble thing. Oh, I'll just clean toilets for Jesus. I'll just stack chairs for Jesus. And listen, trust me, like my wife said to me, shut up. We need people to clean the toilets, stack chairs sometimes. You're right, we do. However, there are talents in the house that aren't being used to reflect the greatness of God. There are. And for whatever excuse, I get the excuses. Some people are just like, well, you know, I don't want to be burnt out. I get that. Or, or, well, you know, I really have to, like, you know, figure myself out first and, and everything like that. Okay, yeah, I, I get that. But, but how much of that are real reasons and how much of that are just excuses? That you're not leveraging what God has given you to reflect the greatness of God. You're not taking what you're good at and doing some good with it. I actually, you know, we, one of our values here is, is um, authentic community. And you can't have authentic community without vulnerability. I actually believe that it requires more vulnerability to tell people what you're good at than to tell people what you're bad at. It requires more vulnerability, right? I could easily tell you, oh, I'm stupid. Can I tell you, I suck at golf. No, I mean it. I am the worst at golf. The worst. My wife has videos of it. You could ask for it in the foyer. 
We went to Top Golf. They, they made me suffer and they took me to Top Golf. And I'm telling you, like, I don't understand. Like, you want to play basketball? I'll play basketball. You want to play baseball? I'll play baseball. Golf? You would, you would think that I've never, ever, like, have seen the sport golf. Like, I don't know who Tiger Woods is. I don't know. Any, you would think, like, I'm the worst. And that's easy for me to tell you because, like, oh, that's charming, right? We, we, somewhere in the church world, we think that self-deprecating is the most charming thing someone can do, right? And, 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 and we beat ourselves up. And humility isn't, isn't, isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. But again, humble police comes up. No, you can't tell people what you're good at. Why not? As long as I confidently say, God gave this to me. God gave this to me. For me to sit there and say, I don't, I, God didn't give me the, the anointing to preach is stupid. It is. He didn't give me the anointing for grammar. I know some of y'all be checking my grammar. Oh, he didn't say that right. I get that. <laughs> but there's an anointing there to preach. It is what it is. I suck at golf. I'm good at preaching. That's okay. And it does. It requires more vulnerability for me to say that. But at the end of the day, I'm going to take what I'm good at and do good with it. So what's in your life that can be used to reflect the greatness of God? Second question, and this, it gets a little deeper, but follow me here. What experiences have you gone through that can be used to reflect the greatness of God? What experiences have you gone through can be used to reflect the greatness of God? Good and bad experiences. Good and bad experiences. What experiences? Some of you, you have some deep trauma. And I'm not asking you to exploit you in regards to your trauma. I'm not asking you to do that. But there are things that we've gone through that could still be leveraged to reflect the greatness of God. I... I I had a biological father that rejected loving me. That's traumatic. And I can sit there and I can wallow in it or I can take this experience and use it to reflect the greatness of God. I did not receive love from a biological father, but I received overwhelming love by my heavenly father. And he taught me my identity. And he taught me confidence. And he taught me healing. I had to go through a lot of crap to figure that out. But nonetheless, I can leverage that experience to reflect the greatness of God. Good or bad. Listen to me. Great people don't just go through things. Great people grow through things. God does not want to waste one moment of your life. And you could sit there and you could get lost and perplexed on why did I have to go through that in the first place. I don't know. One day we'll find out. But until then, let's leverage that experience to reflect the greatness of God. Yes, I went through it, but I discovered that he was healer. Yes, I went through it, but I discovered that he was provider. Yes, I went through it. Yes, I actually created it. But I experienced the love of God because he loved me anyway, even when I messed up. What experiences can God utilize to reflect his greatness? Last question. Y'all getting anything? And I really mean it. Before I continue on, I, I want to talk to some of the older people here. Because you think, again, I want you to stop lying to yourself. And maybe you don't say it, but you live it. Where you really think that your best days are behind you. Stop that crap in Jesus' name. Stop it. 
It's hard to tell a great story when you're stuck in a chapter. Get out the chapter. Get out of the chapter. I'm telling you that the legacy that you could leave is in front of you. The greater, you might have thought you already made a great impact. I'm telling you, you could still leave more impact. If you stop buying into the lie that your best days are behind you. Don't, don't get stuck in one chapter. Your story is still being written. Just felt the need to say that. Point number three. This one's good. And I hope this one's convicting. What do you, start, what do you need to start taking care of more in order to reflect the greatness of God? Ooh. What do you need to start taking care of more in order to reflect the greatness of God? You want a Christian word? Steward. What do you need to steward more? In order to reflect the greatness of God. Again, because of this false sense of humility, we just coast and we go, well, you know, I don't, I don't need to take care of this and I don't need to take care of that. But I'll tell you what, you know what, for me personally, I figured this out and I need to just activate it more. But what motivates me more in my life to take care of my health, to take care of my calendar, to take care of my finances isn't urgency. We think urgency is the biggest motivator. And that's the problem. We condition ourselves to like, oh, got to get to the gym. My cholesterol is high. Right? Or, you know, something's wrong with my heart. I got I to gotta start walking now. Like, we think urgency is the best motivator. I, I trust me, I've been motivated by those things. And, it, and, and eventually it just dies off. The thing that remains is that when you're inspired by the greatness of God. When I start thinking about fervent and the future of fervent. And I'm reminded of the greatness of God and what God can do through fervent. I started imagining myself as a grandfather. Because scripture says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I started imagining myself as a grandfather. No longer preaching, but sitting there right where you are. Watching my grandchildren worship God. Watching leaders that I've, that I've developed and, and watch grow. Watch them lead other leaders. I want to be there for that. I want to be there for that. I don't, I don't want to die in my 50s and 60s not being able to see that. And so when I focus on the greatness of God, it motivates me, inspires me to say, I got to take care of this bag of flesh. Because I want to be able to see the greatness of God. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to be generous. So I got to start taking care of my finances. I want to be able to have the energy to, to help people in their struggles. So I can't be showing up tired all the time. So I got to start taking care of things. Why? Not because of urgency, because I've gotten a revelation of the greatness of God. And we have two extremes. We have people that are just lazy. Let's call it what it is. And then we have people that do way too much. And you're not taking care of yourself. Either one's not taking care of us. And you have some people like me that it depends on what day it is. Right? And this is what I want you to get this principle because this is important. Because I understand the greatness of God so much that I want to take care of myself. And this is the principle. If your output is greater than your input, then your upkeep will be your downfall. If your output is greater than your input, then your upkeep will be your downfall. 
pastors and leaders need to get this. And some of them, they're just trying to save the world and they don't have the, the space to make sure that there's some inputs, make sure that there's some deposits. And that's why so many of them, they crash and burn. We have so many pastors leaving the ministry during this time because it's hard. But I believe hardly it has, it has nothing to do with their calling. It has to do with their capacity to keep up with their calling. And if your output is greater than your input, then your upkeep will be your downfall. Some of you are expecting more out of your marriage. What are you putting into your marriage? You're expecting more out of your spiritual walk. What are you putting into your spiritual walk? Some of us, we're expecting more out of church. What are you putting into church? Yeah, I said it. Why? Because if your output is greater, it's just logical. This ain't rocket science. If your output is greater than your input, then your upkeep will be your downfall. That's the facts. So i got to ask myself, if I really understand the greatness of God, what do I need to start taking care of more in order to reflect the greatness of God? What do I need to start taking care of? Last thing, and I, and, I, and I promise you I'm done. Some of you need to start really taking care of your soul. Some of you right now, you're, you're like stupid bitter. And pessimistic. And you, we think that that comes from a healthy soul. It does not. It does not. We sing songs in the church that say, it is well within my soul. A pessimistic soul can't say it is well. And we think an unhealthy soul thinks that pessimism protects you. Because you've been disappointed your whole life. I get that. Trust me, I get that. You've been rejected your whole life. Trust me, I get that. You've been frustrated for a really long time. Trust me. Trust me. I get that. But your bitterness and your pessimism will not protect you. In fact, it is robbing you of your joy. It is robbing you of your vision to see that there's a great God who does great things that wants to do great things with you. Wants to do great things with you. And even right now, your pessimism, ooh, some of your pessimism, he's just preaching this because he wants to grow this church. I don't want to grow this church. I want us to fulfill the great commission. I, the great commission. That's not a microsado concept. That's a biblical concept. You can read it for yourself in Matthew 28. He gave us the great commission. What is that? Go into the world and preach the gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what did he promise us? He'll be with us. He'll be with us. Some of us, we're not experiencing the presence of God because, again, we think that our past is greater than our future. And so the ways we experience the presence of God is during worship, right? When Liz hits that bridge, ooh, I feel the goosebumps. But I'm here to tell you that there's another level of his presence that when we fulfill the great commission, the co-mission, when we're in mission with God, and you're going to feel his presence when you're at the coffee bar. You're going to feel his presence. When you're in conflict with your spouse, you're going to feel his presence when you're serving the community in a deep, powerful, and even tangible way. Your best days are not behind you. Stop being pessimistic. Stop being bitter. You're not protecting yourself. You're not helping anyone. Let's reflect 
the greatness of God. Let's reflect the grace of this God. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I'm not, a, I'm not a fool. I know one sermon won't change everything. So we're going to be in this journey together. The band is going to sing this song, a real thing. And, and my prayer is that as you sing it, now that you already sung it once this morning, that you get it in your spirit that he is the real thing. You want the real thing. You desire the real thing. Because he's a great God that does great things. And I could do great things with him. We have to start believing in that. So if you can, let's bow your heads and close your eyes. And in your best human attempt, I want you to mean every syllable we're about to say together. So repeat after me. Say, Lord, you are magnificent. Lord, you are mind-blowing. Lord, you are great. I will see you that way. I will begin to live that way. Reflecting your greatness. Because you don't deserve anything less. Anything less. In Jesus' name. Amen.